Well, brethren, we are here at the Feast of Trumpets. The fall holy day season has begun. Fall holy day season in the northern hemisphere. We use Jerusalem as our reference. Uh, in the southern hemisphere, most of you understand that it's actually springtime. And for those of our brethren around the world who live in and around the equator, it's just hot. As it is all year around. But welcome to the holy day season. Things will go very quickly from here on out. Three weeks from this from today, actually, is the last great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So we will experience four holy days and uh, roughly three months' worth of sermons and sermonettes condensed into a three-week period. I hope you are ready. I hope you are excited. And I hope you will come away from this period of time really having grown. I hope this year will be a turning point for you in your spiritual life as you look forward to the fulfillment of these days. Brethren, why are we here today? What does this holy day mean to you? What does this, the fulfillment of this holy day mean to you? How real is the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets to you? You know, many in this room... Many around the world who may listen to this message later on have known this truth for a long time. We have lots of academic knowledge rolling around in our heads, and we can spout off the holy days and the meaning of the holy days. We can even spout off some of the verses. But is the fulfillment of this day real to you? Brethren, it needs to be. If you want to be among those who are changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, the meaning of these days must be real. To be able to have a heart to preach the work, to preach the word of God, to forward the work of God. The fulfillment of this day must be real. Are you spiritually prepared and preparing for the fulfillment of this day? Because as it comes to pass... Times will be very challenging. You think they're challenging now. You just stick around a little while. They'll be even more challenging. They'll be exciting. They'll be powerful. But they'll be very sobering as well. Brethren, today my purpose is to bring to the forefront of your mind a portion of the incredible events that will take place when this fantastic day is fulfilled not many years from now. I want to focus on several aspects of the return of Christ, the first resurrection, and how we need to continue to work incredibly hard in order to help make our calling and election sure. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 10 as we begin here. And let's go back and review some powerful concepts that connect very pertinently to this day. Numbers chapter 10, we're given instruction and an outline of the need for trumpets and where trumpets fit into the plan of God and where trumpets fit into the holy day sequence and cycle and what, what trumpets and the blowing of trumpets actually mean, what God intended for them to mean. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself and you shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. And when they blow both of them, 
All the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So two silver trumpets were to be used. We actually had a silver trumpet up here today, accompanying two, accompanying the hymns. Pay attention during the song service. If you didn't notice, you'll see them again. It's a neat treat. But they were used to call the congregation to order, to call the congregation to assembly. Let's continue on here. Verse 8. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance or a statute forever throughout your generations. So something that continues, it perpetuates into the future. Verse 9, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Verse 10, also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over your sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So trumpets were blown for what reasons? To call an assembly, to bring the people together before God. They were used to announce war. They were to be blown in times of celebration on the appointed feasts, and this is one of God's annually appointed feasts, at the beginning of your months. This is the beginning of the month, the seventh month in God's sacred calendar. This is day number one. And so we see historically on this day, you blew the trumpet because it is a feast day. You blew the trumpet also because it's the beginning of months. Let's look to Amos chapter 3. We'll see a little bit more about the blowing of trumpets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. It's one of those small books in the Minor Prophets that we don't go to very frequently. Amos chapter 3 and verse 6. If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city... Will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. If a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people be afraid? Why would they be afraid? Because a trumpet, as we just read a minute ago, is a sound of war. It's an announcement. And in fact, the word here in the Hebrew for trumpet is actually shofar, which refers to a ram's horn, not a silver trumpet. But it refers to a ram's horn that had the end cut off that was used to trumpet war. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23. We read this passage of scripture just a few minutes ago in the offertory. But let's look at it again from a slightly different vantage point. Leviticus chapter 3 again is, a, is the chapter in scripture where the holy days are talked about in most detail. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. That is today, a memorial of the blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So it's a memorial of the blowing of not a trumpet, but trumpets. And we just read that it was to be two silver trumpets 
in part, and we'll find out in just a minute, that it was also to be the shofar that was blown along with the silver trumpets. So calling this the Feast of Trumpets, plural, is very meaningful. It's important. God put the details in there for a reason. This is also a holy convocation. And what does holy convocation mean? It does mean an assembly, a commanded assembly. In fact, this is a holy commanded assembly. But the word in Hebrew for commanded assembly also means a rehearsal, which is a very interesting perspective. It's a rehearsal. And why are we here today? In part to rehearse the meaning of this day, to look forward, to make sure that we have in our minds what will happen on this day. What God is fulfilling, we just read in Amos, that God does nothing without first revealing it to his saints. And he is showing us so that we can share this meaning with others in the future. Verse 25, you shall do no customary work on it. You shall offer an offering made by fire. So we are here today celebrating this holy day. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 81. Psalm 81, one more reference to the blowing of trumpets, the blowing of a trumpet. Psalm 81 and verse 3. It says, Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon. The Feast of Trumpets is the only holy day that consistently falls on a new moon. If you noticed in your calendar, last night was a new moon. Today is the new moon. This holy day always falls on the new moon which means the first holy day of the Feast of Tabernacles always falls on a full moon, which is interesting as well. But this word for trumpet here in Psalm 81 is also shofar. In the Hebrew, it's talking not about a silver-hammered trumpet, but it's talking about a ram's horn, a trumpet of alarm. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, today, on this holy day. At the time of the full moon, on your solemn feast day. For this is a statute and a law of God of Jacob. This is a command of God. So on this day, not only were the silver trumpets to be blown, but also the shofar. Not only is it a call to assembly, but as we will see and and rehearse as we go through the scriptures here today, The trumpet is also blown on this day is also a sound of alarm. It's a sound of warning and it's a sound of war. Today, we celebrate a day that, yes, pictures the return of Jesus Christ in power, in glory as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It pictures a time when all those who've ever lived, who've known the truth will be raised at the sound of the last trumpet. And we'll review those scriptures shortly. And those who are alive and remain in the truth at Christ's return will also rise, changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. The first fruits of God. This day also pictures more fully the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath on the earth. So this is a bittersweet holy day in a way. It's a powerful and an exciting holy day. Yet it's a very sobering holy day. As well, when we understand the details. Let's get into those details now. You turn to Matthew chapter 24. We'll begin with Christ's discussion of the end time events. 
that will soon come to pass. I'm not going to take the time to read the beginning of chapter 24. I'd encourage you to do that on your own, perhaps between now and the upcoming Sabbath. But let's break in here in verse 15, Matthew 24 and verse 15. And what do we see? Christ's own words. Remember, he was asked at the very beginning of chapter 24, he was asked by his disciples, what are going to be the signs of the end of the age? How will we know that it's coming? How will we know that it's almost here? Are we going to be able to tell? And so he goes into some detail here, verse 15. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Luke talks about this as well. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 refers to this. And Daniel chapter 12 refers to the abomination of desolation. How will we know that things are getting very close? This is a key and a pivotal event that will take place. The abomination of desolation. Daniel talks about how at the time of the end, for a time, the sacrifices will be restarted on the Temple Mount. They'll be occurring, and all of a sudden, they'll come to an end. The sacrifices on the Temple Mount will come to an end as the Gentiles come to power in Jerusalem. And then what will happen? Some type of abomination that makes desolate will be set up in the area where the sacrifices took place. Historically, Antiochus had a first type of this, where he set up a statue of Jupiter Olympus, in the temple. And some sources say he even offered swine's flesh on God's altar. So you're going to have an altar at the end of the age here, not far away. The Jews already have it built. It's a mobile altar that can be moved. As soon as they get access to the temple, they've got it ready to go. They've got the implements for the sacrifices ready to go. They're all set. They could start tomorrow if they had access to the temple mount. They will be offering sacrifices once again to God. It will come to an end. Something will happen. Some type of pagan act will take place on the Temple Mount in the place where the sacrifices were occurring. Christ says, watch for this. Because when it happens, things will happen quickly. Verse 16, again, let those who are in Judea, when you see this, (laughs) head to the hills. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out of the region of the Holy Land, because the fireworks will begin shortly. Let's continue. Verse 17, let him who's on the housetop not go down and take anything out of the house. As we read through the next several verses, you're going to get a sense of urgency. God says, don't dawdle around. Don't waste time. Don't ponder too long. And for those who are watching, they're going to know that these events are going to happen quickly. Daniel chapter 9 gives us indication of what to watch for. When those sacrifices start, God's people need to be watching and be preparing because they will end very quickly. And Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12 that 30 days after these sacrifices stop and the abomination of desolation is set up, the tribulation will begin. 30 days, only a month. So we've got to be ready. Don't take time. If you're on the housetop, don't take time to fiddle around in your house. Get out. Verse 18, let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. 
19. But woe to those who are pregnant and nursing in those days. Why? Because travel is going to be involved. And for those of you who've had little ones or have little ones who are nursing, those of you who have been pregnant, heavy travel is difficult in those stages. God says, whoa, we'll probably come to a point um, in time where the church makes the recommendation to God's people, we recommend do not have any more children at this time. And the world events will be telling enough that we can clearly make those articulations. We're not there yet. But we may be approaching that time soon. What are those who are pregnant and nursing? Verse 20, pray that your flight may not be on the Sabbath or in the winter. Now, if God's going to protect us wherever we are, as some say, there really is no place of safety, as some say. God can protect us wherever we are. Why do you have to pray that your flight may not be in the Sabbath or in the winter? We have to go somewhere. Winter travel can be hard, depending on what areas of the world you live in. There's more storms in the winter. Pray that your flight may not be on the Sabbath. Why? Because even under this duress and this turmoil, God wants us to recognize and to celebrate and to worship him on his Sabbath. He doesn't want us to use the excuse, oh, look at the times are hard. God will understand if we fly on the Sabbath and if we travel on the Sabbath. No, he says, pray that your flight may not be, even at this time. Verse 21, For there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days be shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. We'll talk about that in a a few minutes. But for the elect's sake, the days shall be shortened. Verse 23, And if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ. There is the Christ. Do not believe it. For false Christs, false Christs, not just false prophets, but false messiahs will rise and will show great signs and wonders, deceiving, even if possible, the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. Some people will say, look, Christ came back and he's hiding. Let me ask you this. Christ's return has been planned since the beginning of creation, we're told. He qualified to replace Satan the devil about 2,000 years ago when he didn't sin in this physical life. He has been waiting and planning and working and preparing for eons with the Father for his return. Do you think he's going to sneak in the back door as the rapture discusses? He is the king. He will return in power and glory, and we'll see that in just a few minutes. He's not going to sneak in the back door. When Queen Elizabeth comes to visit this or any other country, she doesn't sneak in the back door and just automatically show up at an event. No, she shows up with pomp and circumstance, and she's a puny human being. What about Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? People will know when he comes back. Verse 25, see, I've told you beforehand, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in these places, don't believe it. Verse 27, for as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. You see lightning, don't you? 
And you actually hear lightning. It's called thunder. When it breaks the sound barrier, you hear the sonic boom. If Christ comes that quickly, literally, spins around the earth faster than the speed of sound, you will hear him as well. Verse 28, for wherever the carcass, wherever the body is, Colossians 1 talks about the body being Christ's body and being the church. Wherever the, where the body is, the carcass, church, there the eagles will be gathered. God's people will know. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then, verse 30, this is key, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven. And what is the sign of the Son of Man? We just read it in verse 27. Christ is not going to sneak in the back door. He'll come as lightning from the east to the west. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Again, they'll see him coming with power and glory. And he'll send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together the elect, the first fruits ultimately from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. In a nutshell, these are the events of the Feast of Trumpets. Let's move on and we'll look at these in a little bit more detail here. To understand the Feast of Trumpets and the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets fulfillment, we have to clearly understand the tribulation. How long will the tribulation last? There are confusing confusing ideas out there today among ministers in the world. Some say it'll last three and a half years. Some say it'll last seven years. What does the Scripture say? Let's go to Revelation chapter 11. We'll see four different references to the same period of time here. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 11. We'll start reading in verse 2. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, it's measuring the temple, and measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. The court of the temple has been given to the Gentiles. Luke 21, verse 24, talks about the time of the Gentiles, the same period of time when the Gentiles are in charge of Jerusalem. Who's in charge of Jerusalem today? The Jews are in charge of Jerusalem today. The Temple Mount is... Actually, the Jews are in charge of, although Muslims inhabit it. But this is coming a time when the Gentiles will be in charge. It has been given to the Gentiles. They will tread the holy city underfoot. The Gentiles will be in charge of Jerusalem. And they will be in control of it for how long? 42 months. How long is 42 months? 36 months is three years exactly. Plus six more months is 42. Three and a half years. The Gentiles will be in charge of Jerusalem. I'll give power to my two witnesses, verse 3, and they will prophesy. How long? 1,260 days. Clothed in sackcloth, 1,260 days. You do the math, you wind up with just about exactly three and a half years. Slightly less using our calendar of 365 days per year. You use God's calendar, which is fewer days in a year, and you wind up with three and a half years. So we've got two references to a time period. 42 months, 1260 days. Translate, three and a half year period. The Gentiles are in charge, and all during this three and a half year period, 
the two witnesses are prophesying. You ever read in the Bible about two other witnesses that prophesied? About plagues coming on the world? Remember Moses and Aaron? You can have a similar situation with these two, no doubt. Before the plagues happened in Egypt, remember Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and they said, let our people go, let God's people go. And Pharaoh said no. And they said, well, if you don't, here's what will happen. God always warns before events take place. He's going to use these two witnesses very likely in the exact same way. Revelation chapter 12, verse 14. Revelation 12, 14, breaking in. Talking about the church of God, the woman. This is a collective term. This doesn't mean each individual church member. This means the body of Christ, the woman, God's church. Verse, verse 13 here. Now the dragon saw that he had been cast down. He persecuted the woman. He persecuted the church who gave birth to the male child. This is not the Catholic church. This is not false churches. This is God's true church. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. When Israel fled out of Egypt millennia ago, Exodus says they fled on the wings of an eagle. Now, obviously, they didn't shrink and get onto the back of an eagle. They walked, didn't they? But they fled. Scripture refers to them fleeing Egypt, leaving Egypt behind on the wings of an eagle. The woman was given two wings of an eagle, God's church. She was uh, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. The word place here in the Greek is topos. Sound familiar? We actually have English words that are based on this Greek root. Ever hear of the term topography or topographical? It refers to geography and the elevations of geography. You can buy topographical maps that show you not only geographical locations, but how high and how low they are. The word topos here means a spot in space limited by occupancy. So it's a spot in space where people reside. It's a location. It's not just wherever you happen to be. It's not heaven. It's a geographical location where the body of Christ will go. It is a place, a place that we've referred to as the place of safety. This is a place where the church is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Time referring to a year here, as we understand. Times, more than one year, two, likely, and half a time. One plus two plus a half is three and a half. And so we see another reference to a three and a half year period. Time, time, and half a time. Time, times, and half a time. 1260 days or 42 months. And then elsewhere, we see three and a half years. Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, I won't turn there, refers to the shattering of the power of God's holy people lasting for 1260 days. And this 1260 day period begins 30 days after the abomination of desolation is set up. You can read that in Daniel 12, verses 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. <clears throat> Revelation 13, verse 5. Revelation 13, verse 5. The beast here is given a mouth 
speaking great things, blasphemies, and given authority to continue with these false teachings for 42 months. And authority was given, verse 7, over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we see a three and a half year period. We see a three and a half year period where the beast is in authority, where God's people are put in a place of safety to protect them, to nourish them, where the Gentiles are in control of Jerusalem, where two witnesses prophesy during this period of time, and where the shattering of God's holy people occurs. This comes on the heels of a seven-year treaty, actually halfway through a seven-year peace treaty, as we understand it from Daniel chapter 9, is signed. So you've got world peace for a while, the treaty shattered halfway through, and you break into worldwide tribulation that we read about in the book of Matthew just a few minutes ago. The tribulation that is unlike any other event that's ever occurred on the earth, Christ said, will last three and a half years from what we've just seen. Three and a half years. Let's go to Revelation 6. And I'm going to be referring to a chart that's in the middle of uh, the booklet that we have, Revelation the Mystery Unveiled. You have a copy of that. Most of you should have a copy of that in your laps. And this is an illustration that helps make clear what's going to happen in these end-time events. If you want to take a look at that very quickly, I'm going to give you some time references that may be helpful. And you might want to just write them in in the right-hand or left-hand margin of the handout that I gave you. These end-time events of the tribulation are going to take place, and you're going to have the first six seals that occur. They happen during the first two and a half years of the of the three and a half year tribulation. These six seals happen over the first two and a half years. As the seventh seal is opened, you basically um, have you ever seen the doll sets that you can buy? Um, that you you open the doll, they're they're rounded dolls. I can't remember the name of them, Patrushka dolls. You open the doll and half it's wooden, and inside the doll is another doll. And you open that one, and inside that doll is another doll, and inside the next one is another doll. Well, that's essentially what these end-time events are. You've got the first six seals that happen. The seventh seal has within it seven trumpet plagues, which are the day of the Lord. Those seven trumpet plagues take place over the last year of the Great Tribulation. So the first six seals are the first two and a half years. The seven trumpet plagues take place during the last year. That's three and a half years. And then the last seven plagues come as part of the seventh trumpet. And they take place probably over a nine to ten day period immediately following Christ's return. Probably between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. So that gives you a bit of a time sequence, and we're going to go to Scripture to bear this out a little more clearly. What do we see? Revelation chapter 6, the beginning of the tribulation. At this time, God's people, God's holy people, the majority of them should be in the tribulation, or in the tribulation, in the place of safety. They shouldn't be in the tribulation. We don't want to be there. God... God does not want his elect to go through the tribulation. 
He wants them to be spared from that time, as we read about in Revelation 3 in the church of Philadelphia. But chapter 6, verse 1, we have a vision that John is seeing of the first two and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And I saw, um, now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying in a voice like thunder, Come and see. I wish Mr. Hernandez was here to say that. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown that was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Matthew 24, verse 5, talks about false prophets coming. And we understand this white horse to signify and exemplify false prophets, and particularly a powerful false prophet riding on a white horse. If we get to it, we'll go to Revelation chapter 19, and we actually see Christ when he returns to the earth. He rides on a white horse. And so you have this false prophet with the same type of imagery. What's interesting is it's a false prophet that's more than just a prophet. This is a prophet that has the power of government behind him because he has a crown. We talk about and we hear about actually a renewed Holy Roman Empire right now. They've been throwing the term around in the EU nations for a while. A conglomeration of church and state, bringing church and state back together. And so this individual is involved in that. He also has a bow in his hand. A bow signifies war and killing. Have you ever known about a church who uses killing to enforce itself? This is not Islam. You go back not too far in past history, and we see a great church headquartered in Rome that used killing to snuff out false individuals and to enforce its teaching. Apparently, we'll see something like this happen again. Beginning powerfully, three and a half years out from Christ's return. And we begin to see these horses riding now, as we've talked about in, in the past. We're, we're seeing the, the beginnings of these seals, but they're going to speed up very, very rapidly as we hit the three-and-a-half-year mark, 30 days after the abomination of desolation, as the tribulation begins. The second seal here, he opened the second seal, and I heard a second of the living creatures saying, Come and see. And another horse rode. Fiery red, it went out, and it granted. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And the people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. This horse signifies war, great war, world war, that must come to pass. The third seal, verse 5, again, happening during this first two and a half years of the Great Tribulation. He opened the third seal, and I heard a third living creature saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales, a measuring device in his hand. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, basically a day's wages. A quart of wheat for a day's wages. A quart of wheat would barely feed a family of three or four for a day. A couple loaves of bread, maybe. A loaf and a half of bread. If that. A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, 
Do not harm the oil and wine. Oil and wine are going to be very scarce at this time. So what do you see? Why do you have this hyperinflation happening where you have a quart of wheat costing a whole day's wages? What causes hyperinflation? One of the things is a lack of a product. If you don't have enough of a product, the prices spike. If you're running low on wheat and everybody needs it, what can those who sell it do? They can charge, as we say, an arm and a leg for the items, for the food. People will pay it because they have to live. What else causes hyperinflation? Economies crashing. Seen it in Zimbabwe recently. Inflation to the tune of millions of percents before the economy totally crashed and they had to convert to the dollar. So you're going to have famine. And famine comes on the heels of war. War results in famine in many cases. Verse 7, he opened the fourth seal again during this two and a half years of the first two and a half years of the tribulation. The fourth seal, I heard a voice coming from the fourth living creature saying, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse in the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed him or the grave followed this horse. And power was given over them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and the beasts of the earth. Death will come. Death comes on the heels of famine. And when animals don't have enough food to eat in nature, what do they do? They look elsewhere. So death will come through animals. It will also come through the war. How much death during the first three or two and a half years of the tribulation? 25%, a fourth of the earth's population. We're at roughly 7 billion people today. 25% of the earth's population right now is one and three quarter billion people. We're talking about major death and devastation. One and three quarter billion people from this seal happening. How is the earth going to react? How will the world react to this kind of death and devastation? And this will be prophesied. You've got two witnesses in Jerusalem this whole time saying, this is going to happen. What's the next seal? Verse 9, he opened the fifth seal and saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. What do you, how do you refer to someone who dies for their faith and dies in their faith? They're a martyr, aren't they? So you've got these martyrs and uh, these aren't actually crying out from the grave. We know that they're dead. The dead know nothing. Yet this is a pictorial account of what they would be saying if they were alive. Verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And the white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. Until when? Until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. We read in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14 about 144,000 first fruits. God uses very, very specific numbers. He also apparently has a number for the martyrs that must die before Christ returns. Two of which probably will be the two witnesses 
who die in the streets of Jerusalem. They will be martyred and the world will rejoice and even send presents to each other when these two troublemakers in the world's eyes finally die. But there is a number. God has a number for those who must die as well for the truth. Verse 12, the sixth seal, heavenly signs. I looked and he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. Volcanic eruptions. We don't know exactly what's going to cause this. The stars of heaven fell from the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. You ever watched a meteor shower? It looks like stars falling. Again, we'll have to see exactly what causes this to play out. The sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and every island was moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man. That's everybody on the face of the earth, by the way. Hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains, verse 16, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They knew what was coming. They knew what's com- They know what's coming next because you've got two witnesses on the scene telling them. They want to die because of these terrible events. They are so afraid that they want to die. God, let the rocks fall on us and crush us. That would be better than having to go through what we know is coming next. And they point that out. Verse 17, they continue talking for the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? The first two and a half years of the tribulation have come to an end. And the great day of the Lord's wrath has now come. The great day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's wrath. How long does it last? Is it just a day? Let's turn over to Zephaniah 1. Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord. Same terminology that John just used in Revelation. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. Why is the noise bitter? Well, we will see that there are certain noises that happen during that day of the Lord. One of them is a trumpet sounds before the next catastrophe. And that trumpet will take on a very, very bitter tone to the people around the world. There will also be cries, agony, pain, moaning, wailing that occur. There will be sounds that are heard around the world. You know, when Krakatoa went off, it was said that the sound was heard around the world. We're going to see that there will be earthquakes. There will probably be a volcanic eruption that is heard around the world. The earth will be shaken and the sound will be deafening with these next Events that happen. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty men shall cry out. The mighty men. Not the weaklings. The mighty ones. The powerful. And fathers will cry. 
mothers as well. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Let's look over to Isaiah chapter 34. A little bit more detail. So this is the day of the Lord. But again, will it be a day? No. The day of the Lord lasts for a year. It's the day for the year principle that we see multiple times in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 34, and verse starting in verse 8. For the day of the Lord, it is the day of the Lord's vengeance. The year of recompense for the city of for the cause of Zion, a year of retribution. It's the day of the Lord, which is a year of recompense. We see God equating the two together. Let's look to Isaiah 61. Just one more reference here to the same concept, a day for a year. Isaiah 61 and verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of God. We just saw that it was a year of vengeance. Now it's a day of vengeance. We saw it was a day of the Lord. Now it's the year of the Lord. So we see that this day of the Lord, this concept of a day of the Lord, refers to a year-long period. It's the last year of the three-and-a-half-year tribulation. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. And for those of you who are following along on your chronology on the timeline that we handed out. We have covered this first six seals. And as the seventh seal opens, it reveals seven trumpet plagues. We've covered the first two and a half years of the tribulation. Now we're in the last year of the tribulation, right before Christ's return. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given trumpets. And here we move into the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets portrays not the first two and a half years of the tribulation that we went through. I went through that with you because you need to have context as we go into the Day of the Lord. The Feast of Trumpets typifies, points to the Day of the Lord, the last year before Christ's return, the last year of the tribulation, the blowing of the trumpets. So we see that I saw seven angels who stand before God. To them were given seven trumpets. And the other angel, having a golden censer, he came and stood at the altar and was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And then we move down here, verse 6. So the angels who had the seven trumpets prepare themselves to sound. When will Christ return? Christ likely will return on the Feast of Trumpets. What better day? The seventh trumpet will sound. We'll get there in just a minute. The seventh trumpet will sound, and it will announce seven more plagues, but it will announce the return of Christ. We'll be changed in the moment of a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. There are some who state that Christ will return on the Feast of Pentecost. And then the church will be raptured away to heaven for six months while they wait for the Feast of Trumpets to be fulfilled. It doesn't make sense, even intuitively. So if Christ returns on the Feast of Trumpets and the day of the Lord lasts one year, 
when might the day of the Lord start? Maybe on the Feast of Trumpets. And the first trumpet sounds. And what do we have? Verse 7. The first angel sounded, and the hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown down to earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. My marginal reference notes, and a third of the earth was burned up. The first plague following the first trumpet, a third of the earth is burned. And again, this will happen with warning. The two witnesses are going to be all over the news. They'll be all over the communication cycles. People will know that when you hear this trumpet, get ready, because a third of the earth will be scorched. How? We don't know exactly, but I can tell you this. I've lived in the Rocky Mountains area. Mrs. McNair's lived in that area. And at the end of the summer... In the Rocky Mountain region, when you haven't had rain in several months, everything is a tinderbox. And you can be riding along the road and you hear a thunder crack and you just pray, God, don't let there be a forest fire. Sometimes in that area of the country, you have some major hailstorms, hail as big as your fist. And with it comes thunder and comes lightning. And when a lightning strikes a tinderbox, what happens? Whew! Fire picks up, and fire with wind in that area of the country can roll across the plains very, very quickly and through the mountains. You're going to have two and a half years of tribulation, and one of the, the seals in the, during the Great Tribulation, those first two and a half years, is famine. See, what causes famine? Well, one of the things that causes famine is lack of rain. If you've got the earth that's a tinderbox, and you have a thunderstorm with hail, you have fire coming from heaven and scorching the earth. I've never seen hail with blood before. That will be something to be seen. But a third of the earth will be scorched as this trumpet sounds, beginning the day of the Lord. Then you have the second trumpet. And again, these are spread out over a year-long period. When does this happen? Does God stage them exactly the same distance apart over a a year-long period or Are they clumped together? I'm not sure. But perhaps a month, perhaps a month and a half later, a second trumpet sounds. Now, do you think this trumpet is going to be just a little do-do-do-do-do that you really have to listen for? Or you have to just be in Jerusalem to hear it? Or do you think God is going to let the world know? Yes, it's probably going to be a trumpet blast that is heard round the world. The world will know. It will have been prophesied to happen. So the first event occurs. The second time the trumpet sounds, how do you think people will react? They'll probably, some of them, many will be paying attention. Okay, what's going to happen next? What did, that, what did those crazy prophets say? And we see the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. This is not an asteroid, apparently. The asteroid is next. But a mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea. This may be a volcano, the top of a mountain that goes into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. The earth, the oceans of the earth, are a saline solution. They've got a high enough pH that if you throw the right kind of other chemicals or elements into the water, you can turn the water red. How exactly is God going to do this? I don't know. There are bacteria that can get into salt water and will turn it red as well. We have this thing called red tide 
that some of you are familiar with. How is this going to happen? I'm not sure. But if you place this mountain in the right place in ocean currents, halfway between the northern and and southern currents in the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean, within a matter of weeks, you will have the current circulate this red stuff over half of the earth or a third of the earth. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed because of this event. How do you destroy a third of the ships? You're talking about thousands or tens of thousands of ships. I don't know exactly, but a tidal wave would sure do it. A tsunami. You know, there are scientists that have speculated about one particular um, island in, I believe it's in the Azores, that it's a couple thousand feet tall. It's a volcanic mountain. It's also unstable. There's a lot of water in this mountain. And they've talked about how if an earthquake would happen, half of this mountain could shift and fall into the Atlantic Ocean, just off the coast of Africa. And if that happened, it could, and it happened all at once, it could spawn a tidal wave over a thousand feet high that would travel across the Atlantic Ocean in a matter of hours, inundating the entire east coast of the United States, which would wipe out uh, most of the population, because most of the population on the east coast lives within a couple of miles of the coast. It would totally cover the islands in the Caribbean, and it would inundate the east coast of South America as well. A thousand-foot-high wave, how many boats do you think could last through that? You could have a similar thing happen on the Pacific Rim and cause the same kind of event to occur. Will it be a tidal wave? I don't know. God doesn't say. But we can figure out catastrophes that we're aware of that could bring about some of these events. And we think like ants compared to God. So the third of all living creatures in the sea die. You are talking about billions of creatures in the ocean. Ships, third of the ships destroyed. The third trumpet sounds, maybe a month or two later, people are going to start to get the hang of things here. They're going to start bracing for the next event. The third angel sounded, the great star fell from heaven. Here's your asteroid. Burning like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Bitter with what? Lead? Mercury? Other kinds of chemicals? We don't know. But it does major damage. A month or two later, what else happens? Another trumpet sounds heard round the world. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day they did not shine, and likewise night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Again, probably not saying, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Crying out so the world could hear it, whoa, as it echoes around the world. Have you ever been in the mountains? And yelled, some of you have, and you hear the sound, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can feel the sound in some of those locations. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because because of the remaining blast of the trumpets. So not only now are the two witnesses prophesying, but an angel from heaven is also warning, beware. And during this whole time, no doubt those two witnesses are saying, repent, change, Worship the true God. Throw your government away. 
say uncle. (laughs) And the world will not do it. And we'll see more that they won't. So what happens? Shortly after that, you know, a matter of weeks, maybe another month, the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit out of the smoke locusts came to the earth and to them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power and as we will read these are not locusts the creatures these are something john looked at as he was given this vision and they look sort of like locusts they were devastating creatures but he didn't have any other way to describe them How do you describe modern mechanized warfare 2,000 years ago when you don't know what a tank or a helicopter is? You try and do the best you can, and that's what we see here. They uh, were commanded, verse 2, not to harm the grass or the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them. All they could do is torture Torment, bring terror upon people. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Pain. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die. The death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. You ever seen a picture or maybe seen in person a cobra gunship? That's a United States model. The EU has their own model. The Russians have their own model. Could this be something like that? Looks like the face of a person. On its head is like a crown. It makes sound. Stings come out of its tail as these heat-seeking missiles and other types of missiles fire. Verse 9 uh, verse 8, they had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses going into battle. Their tails had stings like scorpions, stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. They also had as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit whose name is Abaddon or the destroyer. Verse 12, one woe is past. Still the others, the other two are coming. A little bit more time passes. Actually, five months, we're told, pass in this particular situation. And then what happens in verse 13? The sixth angel sounded. Again, you've got the earth being tormented for five months because of that last trumpet blast. Now another trumpet blast is heard around the world. And how does the earth respond to this one? How do people, you think, respond to this? People are terrified again. The sixth angel sounded. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before god saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound in the river euphrates so they the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day of the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind 25 percent died in the first part of the tribulation at least and here another third is to be killed by this army, we go on reading here, of 200 million men. The army itself is two-thirds the size of the United States. 
200 million men. And through the plagues of fire, smoke, and brimstone, a third of mankind is killed. Another one and three-quarter billion people die based on the population of the earth currently. Their powers in their mouth, verse 19, and in their tails. And their tails are like serpents having heads uh, with them to do harm. The rest of mankind who are not killed by the plagues. Read this with me. The rest of the human beings left on the earth who are not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither speak or hear, see or hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality and their thefts. Powerful plagues to hit the earth sounded with each of the trumpet blasts. And then we have the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet that sounds. Revelation 16 starts here. Revelation 11, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven. Revelation 11, 15 saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And what happens at this seventh trumpet? It does make way for the last seven plagues that you have on the sheet of paper in front of you. But what else happens? 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll start reading in verse 50, 50, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. How and when? In a moment, in the blink of an eye. When? This is key. Not before the tribulation, as we're raptured to heaven for three and a half years or seven years. At the last trumpet, how many trumpets are blown? Seven. When is that last trumpet blown? We read it in Matthew 24. At the end of the tribulation. At the end of the three and a half year period of worldwide devastation, that seventh trumpet is blown in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And the corruptible must put on incorruption. The mortal must put on immortality. New bodies. Spirit bodies. First Thessalonians 4, I won't turn there, talks about how in that moment in twinkling of an eye, those who have died in Christ will rise first. The saints who came before us, they will rise first. And those of us who live on and remain and hold fast to the truth will rise to follow them and meet Christ in the air. And then he'll return to the earth, the rest of Scripture says. And we'll rule and we'll reign on earth. And to hear more about that, make sure you turn up at the Feast of Tabernacles in 14 days. And you will hear the rest of the story. 
But the resurrection of the saints, of the first fruits, will take place as this trumpet sounds. What else will happen? Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. And we read in Matthew 24 at the beginning of the sermon how Christ would return at that time. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Yes, Christ is going to come and make war for a short period of time when he returns too. Satan, you must remember, is still in power at this time. Yes, Christ qualified a long time ago to replace him. He comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's got to put the God of this world out of commission. And as Christ returns, Satan is going to throw everything he's got at Jesus Christ. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire. You can read about this in Revelation 1 as well. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And we find in Revelation 7 and 14 that the first fruits could know the name. He was clothed with a robe. Dipped in blood, his name was called the Word of God. Who are we talking about? You know, the King of Kings, our elder brother, the groom who will marry the bride, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, the armies in heaven were clothed in fine linen with white clean, white and clean and flowed, followed him on horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that it should be to strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So he is going to return triumphant at this point. Let's turn back to Revelation 16. Christ will return, we're told, too, with a shout. In fact, it's 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll read that to you. If you're really quick with your Bible, you can turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, lest you... Sorrow is others who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Verse 16 of First Thessalonians 4, The Lord himself will re- descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel going to be announced you don't have a monarch a ruler enter a war a room or anything else without an announcement an announcement that will be heard around the world he's going to return with a shout what is the shout going to be like well it could be a shout of war a war hoop or think about it christ has been waiting for this moment since the beginning it's finally going to happen. Maybe it's going to be a yahoo! Because it's finally here. He's finally returning as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords. He's finally bringing his kingdom to the earth. He's finally going to do away with the adversary for a thousand years. He's finally going to bring peace. What a shout it will be. He returned with a shout and the sound of the trumpet of God announcing his return. Perhaps a sound of war from the trumpet? Yes, because there's war yet to come. But a sound of triumph. 
because he is coming to set up his kingdom on the earth. Revelation chapter 16. Briefly, let's go through. As he returns to the earth, as that seven trumpet sounds, as the first fruits are resurrected, changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, seven more plagues begin to happen. It's not over yet. The first bowl came forth. Verse 2 of Revelation 16. Poured out on the earth, a foul and loathsome sore came upon men who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. A loathsome, terrible, disgusting sore impacts everybody. Verse 2. This period of time for these bold judgments is probably the time between trumpets and atonement. And I'll point out one of the reasons why that probably has to be. The second angel poured out the bowl on the sea and it became blood of a dead man. And every creature in the sea died. Not a third. Every creature in the sea died. What will happen to the sea when it's full of dead creatures? You ever smell dead creatures? It smells of rot and decay. It chews up all of the oxygen. You wind up with major problems. How long can the earth survive when the sea is dead? The earth's oceans are living. They help the earth work. They help keep the atmosphere. They help keep the climate and the temperature. What happens when the sea dies? Verse 4, the third angel poured forth his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. You don't drink blood. You cannot drink blood and live on it. And this is the rivers and the springs. There's no potable water. How long can a human being live without food and water? Without food and water. About 10 days. Elderly and very small children and infants will die in a couple of days. They dehydrate. When you dehydrate far enough, your brain can't send a chemical message to your heart and your lungs to breathe and beat anymore, and you die. People who are in really good shape, who have extra water supplies in their body, might live two weeks. Now, there might be some food left. But brethren, if there's no potable water, drinkable water, guess what? Human beings aren't the only ones that die in a very short period of time. Every creature on the face of the earth will be dead unless those days are shortened. Time cannot go on for a long period of time. These bold judgments must happen quickly or there will be no humanity to work with during the millennium anymore. Verse 4, a fourth angel poured forth his bowl on the sun, which had power to scorch men with fire. And the men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of the Lord who had power over the plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Still they won't repent. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured forth his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues before because of the pain. Some of you have been inside a cave when they turn the lights out in a cave and you have just a glimpse of what they're talking about. Darkness that's so thick it feels like you can touch it. Yet the whole area of the beast, this is a plague that's happened before, isn't it? Go back to Exodus and you read about the same plague. God's done this before. The sixth angel poured forth his bowl on the river of Euphrates. It dries up and allows an army to come to Jerusalem. 
And we read in Joel and elsewhere that this army fights Christ. And that those fighting in the army literally are melted in their boots. And the depth of the blood and the sinews that is melted is up to the horse's bridles in the valley of Jehoshaphat. A terrible, devastating catastrophe. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl on the air in a loud voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And the whole earth will hear that voice. It is done. The fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets is done. Death, destruction, turmoil, humanity humbled. And yet in that a glimmer of future hope with the return of the King of Kings, with a change in a moment and a twinkling of an eye of God's saints, changed into members of the God family, powerful members of the God family who inherit all things, Revelation says, including his wisdom and his power, the power to make right, the power to fix this world, the power to guide and direct the people that are left, billions of them, to show them the right way of life. Brethren, this is the Feast of Trumpets. This is the fulfillment of this, of this day. It is coming, and it comes quickly, as we've read. The future holds awesome events, brethren. It holds terrible events. It holds exciting events. World events will speed up. They'll get more terrible as we approach the end of the age and the day of the Lord, especially in the year prior to Christ's return. The Feast of Trumpets pictures this horrific time, the day of the Lord. But as I mentioned, it pictures, too, bringing to the end Satan's 6,000 years of subjugation of the world, the next holy day, the Day of Atonement, the event that happens right after the Feast of Trumpets in God's plan, pictures Satan's removal, the freeing from captivity of the world. These traumatic, tragic, catastrophic events have to happen so that we have a world that is ready to be taught. When Satan is removed, then, and only then, when humanity is humbled, then, and only then, will people be able to say, come on, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Let's go to Jerusalem, and let's learn to be taught the commandments of God. Let's learn how to figure out how to live by the commandments. That would be crazy today. Could you imagine people down the street today? saying, come on, let's go to church with these people who are all dressed up in the middle of the week and let's learn how to obey God. That's not going to happen. It's going to take these events, catastrophic humbling events and the removal of Satan the devil for the world to get to a point where they say, teach me, show me, let me live your way. Brethren, we are the first fruits. We are to be part of the first resurrection that comes with the return of Christ on the heels and in the midst of these incredible events. If we remain undefiled by the world, if we remain on a godly course and godly path, if we do not give up, we will be changed. Prior to that, we'll be able to be spared from going through the tribulation. Brethren, I encourage you, continue. Hold fast to God's truth. Don't let it go. 
if you're living life as a Christian, but just living life, if you're not focused on the truth, young people, this includes you too. Learn to live God's way. He wants you in his kingdom. If Christ comes 10 years from now, most everyone in this room will be old enough to be baptized. Think about that, young people. You too will have the opportunity to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Brethren, as we overcome, as we pray without ceasing, as we continue steadfastly in the truth, as we stay awake spiritually, as we never give up, we too will hear the sound one day soon of a seventh trumpet. We will feel our bodies slough off the old humanity. We'll feel a change happen as we are totally imbued with the Holy Spirit, as we are made spirit beings, as we rise into the air to meet Christ. He will welcome us. Brethren, this is the future of the Feast of Trumpets. As Daniel 2.45 states, The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. Are you ready? Are you preparing for your role in God's awesome plan? What are you doing now, brethren? And what will you do in the future to ensure that you will rise at the sound of the trumpet?